0: Hello, and welcome to Frank Skinner's Poetry Podcast. This week, I am... Look, an aeroplane is going over. I don't know if you can hear that. It's okay. life goes on. Poetry remains in its ivory tower. I don't actually live in an ivory tower. It's, I think, Bakelite. Anyway, Leoncia Flynn wrote a collection of poems... I'm fairly confident, by the way, that Leontia is how you say her first name. It's L-E-O-N-T-I-A. If I'm wrong, then I apologise to her and her followers. Anyway, I, I come here to praise her, not to pronounce her. And Profit and Loss is the collection that I want to talk about. It's a 2011 collection. It is tremendous and such is my confidence in the material in this book I thought what I would do is open it randomly at a page or pages facing pages and do those two poems so not only am I doing profit and loss I'm doing pages 24 and 25 of profit and loss the focus tightens to just those two facing pages and There is a poem on each of those and I want to talk about them because I like them. That's my point. I also like the randomness of opening a book at a page and seeing what happens. I once was in a slight mess in my life and I decided to open the Bible and say whichever passage was first on the right-hand page, that would aid my decision. And I can't remember it word for word, but the the first passage on that page said, and Japheth begat Melakim, or something of that nature. I just couldn't make it fit with the problem in hand. So it's not foolproof, but I'm confident of Leoncia Flynn's ability that you can open this book anywhere and find gold. On page 24, there's a poem called Anecdote. I'd like to tell you about it. Here is the first few lines. You find yourself suddenly very badly drunk at a ritzy do in some renovated warehouse. You are talking at speed to a man who's almost handsome in a Hollywood way, except for his terrible teeth. What's wrong with these teeth? They slant inwards like a shark's. And this is the last clear thought you will recall when you wake to the drama of an unknown room. I love it. The drama of an unknown room. We must surely, all my listeners, have experienced that. If you haven't, don't feel bad about it. Okay, so you find yourself suddenly very... Badly drunk at a ritzy do in some renovated warehouse. I don't know if you are drinkers. I used to drink to tremendous excess and no longer drink. But that suddenly is a very true experience. How badly drunk jumps on you rather than slowly embraces you. Okay, you find yourself suddenly very badly drunk At a ritzy do in some renovated warehouse. You are talking at speed to a man who's almost handsome in a Hollywood way. Hollywood way, I would take that to be a not very real, slightly phony, inauthentic way. So we're already having a sense of inauthenticity about this guy. Except for his terrible teeth. Now, the font switches to italics at this point so already my poetry and tanae go up what is Leonsha doing why has she made this choice because poets usually have very good reasons for even the tiniest of choices even font options they're up to something and in italics what's wrong with these teeth they slant inwards like a shark Okay so I think that what's happening here I think the teeth by the way they slant inwards like a shark I believe a shark's teeth do do that for for devouring to make devouring better so he's it's like he's waiting like a shark he's pre, a predatory figure and the italics to me feel like that moment when you address yourself In drink where you you find yourself in the world of yourself inside your head and you looking out as if looking through windows from a room and there's a lot of stuff about rooms in this in this collection and you find yourself saying things like look at this person's teeth to yourself because thought changes considerably when you're that Drunk, And I think maybe drunks always think in italics that that there's a great "Ah, adage you can stick on a T-shirt. I don't mean just because everything's slightly leaning in the world of italics, which fits neatly with the drunkard. But I think I read somewhere on the Internet that italics are the print equivalent of underlining. And I think your thought tends to get underlined, certainly the bits you remember afterwards, because you have to make an extra effort to think. When I was um, not just very drunk, but certainly when I had very bad hangovers, I used to talk to myself because my brain was too messy to actually handle internal dialogue. I had to get it out there so it didn't just... Melt like a Dali painting. Maybe this is getting too confessional. Anyway, what's wrong with these teeth? They slant inwards like a shark. I can imagine her thinking that through the haze, as it were. And you know, sometimes in a novel, if they don't use inverted commas for a character's thoughts, they tend to keep it for speech, they will italicise those thoughts. So it's, it's just letting us know, and as she says, this is the last clear thought you will recall. So these these italicised thoughts, what's wrong with these teeth? They slant inwards like a shark. Then they too, for all your efforts, for all your emphasis, for all your underlining of these thoughts, they are going into the mist. You're going into the mist. And then you're going to wake up in the drama of an unknown room. So that bit, and this is the last clear thought you will recall when you wake to the drama of an unknown room. And there is a, the stanza ends with those two italicised thoughts and the new stanza begins and this is the last clear thought you will recall. So the gap between the stanzas is that memory blank that dronks experienced and that she's experienced so the white the very white page between the stanzas represents that moment of loss when you are doing stuff but you will not remember what you were doing and i love that um this is the last clear thought you will recall when you wake to the drama of an unknown room And there is something dramatic about waking up in a strange room after a night like that. And there is something self-dramatising about it. There's something, I don't know, I used to find in these kind of one-night-stand situations that when you wake up you do feel you're, like you're in a movie, like you're someone living in the fast lane. That was my own experience. A, a female friend once said to me, this may be an outdated thought, but she was sincere about it, that when it comes to a one-night stand, a man gains something and a woman loses something. Discuss. Okay, I'm going to go on to the next bit. Above your head... Some charming cosmic dust spins a neutral light. There's a mystery trail of kicked-off shoes, slumped coat, deserted jeans that leads only, alas, to the dead end of yourself. Now, we can see that lying in bed, so it's just coming round, and those thoughts from last night, what's wrong with these teeth? They slant inwards like a shark. That's just about all you've got of the later stages of the previous evening. But here you are in an unknown room. Above your head, some charming cosmic dust spins a neutral light. And I think that's that thing when you're waking up and just... Noticing things you haven't really started thinking properly yet, you're just noticing stuff, and you know, those bits I think they're called aerosols those bits of dust that sometimes in sunlight you can see them quite clearly, so you know they're always there, just moving about through the atmosphere above your head. Some charming cosmic dust, just something to look at. It's a bit beautiful and interesting as you re emerge into consciousness and it spins a neutral light and i'm thinking that might be some celebration of its non-judgmental nature there's no one here to judge the speaker as one sometimes can be judged after a night like that just this completely neutral cosmic dust and this morning light shining down and then it gets a bit more focused on her personally there's a mystery trail of kicked off shoes slumped coat deserted jeans now that is again anyone who's drunk being drunk will remember waking up and seeing your clothes forming sort of stepping stones from the door to the bed where you've stepped out of, dropped, almost passed through your clothes on the way to your target. And that leads, as she says, that leads only, alas, alas, a beautiful poetic word, with a little bit of irony in it, I think. So not too, it's is not self-loathing, I don't think, it's just a bit of, I know, here we go again. That leads only, alas, to the dead end of yourself. And the idea that it was, as I said, a mystery trail, quite exciting, what's going to be at the end of it, just the dead end of yourself. So it was exciting, but here I am on my own, and I'm still the same me I was before this experience took place, in as much as any of us are the same as we are post an experience. Hmm, I didn't... You know what I mean. Okay, so I'm liking this. She is lying there on her own and the shark has gone. Sharks have to keep moving, I'm told, or they die. So as well as the predatory nature of this bloke, as well as the fact that his teeth did slightly slant inwards, like those italics that the thought of their slanting is placed in... He also keeps moving. He's moved on to the next victim. When you look at the mystery trail of kicked-off shoes, slumped coat and deserted jeans, I think as well those are not accidental adjectives. They are adjectives that one could say applied to the speaker. She has been kicked off by the this sharky man. She now sits slumped like the coat and the deserted jeans. He has gone, she's left alone. This again is a fabulously drunken moment thing. You inspect a promising blister on your thumb, but the clue is cold. So you hit the street where some pigeons scatter i have I tell you why I've stopped, because um, I should have planned ahead on this. The next word is spelt W-H-H-H-R-R-R-P-P, and it is the sound, you may have guessed it, that sort of wing thing sound that pigeons make when they all suddenly scatter. I'm going to try it. So you hit the street where some pigeons scatter. At the, it was rubbish. At the front door's click... Then one by one, drop grimly back into place. Let's look at this a piece at a time. You inspect a promising blister on your thumb, but the clue is cold. Again, there's so much classic drunken night out in this. So much beautifully observed decadence. You inspect a promising blister on your thumb. Where did that come from? But the clue is cold. I'll never know now. But the clue is cold is a great way of describing something that happened during your drunken absence, as it were. It's gone now. The clue is cold. You'll never find out. I used to have a habit of walking down the street. Everyone had privet in uh, in the seventies in the West Midlands, and I would walk down the street ripping off privet leaves. I don't know why. I just did it. Just one or two here and there. And I once woke up with a terrible hangover after a night, such as is described in this poem. And I had about eight or nine long black thorns sticking in the palm of my hand. And I'd obviously just been unthinkingly picking at the uh, privet leaves and then gone past something like a gorse bush and just carried on picking. And these thorns were sticking in my hands and the anaesthetic alcohol allowed me to just continue until the next morning so I just sat as she watched those um, little particles of cosmic dust in the sunshine I just sat the next morning just pulling out those thorns before I got on with my day and so you hit the street and I think but the clue is cold and so you hit the street she's gone there a bit Mickey Spillane a bit detective novel enjoying that little vocabulary moment where some pigeons scatter sound effect at the front doors click so they hear the click so she's leaving now she hasn't said i'm off really the door's clicking we know she's going she's going to hit the street and then one by one drop grimly back in place so these pigeons have been slightly disturbed by her. They look a bit grim and slightly miffed about it, and then they go back to where they were. A bit, one could say, like her experience of the night. She caused a bit of a stir, but was very quickly ignored, and the person involved, the person responding to her, very quickly stopped responding. So even the pigeons sort of notice, big moment, Okay, not interested anymore. Now, the poem is called Anecdote. And in my experience, a one-night stand can be a way of sort of mutually creating anecdotes. You each get one to take away. A woman once told me that. She said, I'm only here for the anecdote. And I thought that was perfectly reasonable. And a sort of interesting system of exchange. But the problem with drunken anecdotes, of course, is the memory loss can get in the way. And in this one, yes, it's an anecdote, but the addressee has to do quite a lot of the work because we don't have the middle bit, basically. So it it's it's an anecdote which has the the preamble, the ritzy do in the renovated warehouse, the man with the sharky teeth. And then it has the ending, but no middle. But I love it because I just love its observation of those kind of nights. And I love the slight sense of tragedy at the end. But it's not, oh, my, why do I do this to myself? It's pigeons slightly looking down on you because you disturb them for a moment. It's a mystery blister. It's those clothes on the floor. But the dead end of yourself does suggest some genuine. I move um, not very far. I move to the next page and uh, the next poem is called The Floppy Disc. Okay, that surprised you, didn't it? Oh, man, it's great. It's great. She's very good, Leon Shuffin. I know I say that about everyone and that's because I only choose poets. I like there are poets I don't really don't really move me but I won't talk about them because there's enough negativity in the world okay so this is someone talking about a floppy disk which might if there's any youth listening to this they may be confused but it's a piece of old tech essentially okay Prince among misnomers the floppy disk lies stranded in drifts of dust in the top desk drawer, a castaway on shingly paperclips. Ah, oh, love it. Or under an old bank statement, the small withdrawals dwindling to little, then less, then nothing at all. The floppy disk, this is a great opener. Prince among misnomers. Now, a misnomer is, as you probably know, is an unsuitable name. And the thing about floppy disks, in case you don't know, is they aren't floppy. They are stiff. Hence it is a prince among misnomers. Okay, It lies stranded in drifts of dust in the top desk drawer. It's fairly straightforward. But this, a castaway on shingly paperclips. It's great, isn't it? So... Instead of being on the shingle on the shore of a desert island, paper clips in the top drawer are what it uh, what it lies on. But it is a castaway in that it has been cast away. It is out of date. There is something tragic about old tech that isn't used anymore, and Leoncia is enjoying that. Any sort of technical thing that becomes obsolete or is broken, I feel bad. I don't know if you've ever seen a Henry Hoover in a skip. It's oh man, I just want to wipe its eyes. Okay, a castaway on shingle paperclips or under an old bank statement, the small withdrawals dwindling to little, then less, then nothing at all. A little bit of history there a little record of time passing in the form of a bank statement and also this is about time passing it's about something that was absolutely new and exciting and thrilling and now he's just been cast away in a draw and the bank statement is a record of not only time passing but in this instance withdrawals dwindling to little, then less, then nothing at all. It, 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 it's, it's an airbing away, which is what happened to the popularity and usefulness of the floppy disk. So if it lies under that bank statement, the bank statement is, is almost like a, a record uh, of its, its timeline and how its importance dwindled as did the withdrawals. Next bit. How young it is to be so obsolete. The stainless steel clip shines, the neat black case still sleek as a woman's suit or evening purse. I will take it between my finger and my thumb and post it with a click through the squarish slot of the oh-so-recent, stunningly useless past, the moment before the moment before now, whose code is lost. See, it sort of feels like a comedy poem, this, because it's about a floppy disk, which seems like a trivial thing to write about, but I think we are getting deeper and deeper. We've just had that previous poem about being discarded. And I think this is the same theme. This is something which seems so exciting for a short period of time, and now has just been dumped. How young it is to be so obsolete. I mean, that could be a line from the previous poem. The stainless steel clip shines like the neat black case still sleek as a woman's suit or evening purse. It's sort of made the floppy disk female as well there for a moment, maybe again, encouraging that analogy. I will take it between my finger and my thumb and post it with a click through the squarish slot of the oh so recent stunningly useless past. And that of course is what um, you, you, you sort of post a, um, a floppy disk or you did do and that's when the action started you posted it into that slot on your computer but what about that I post it with a click through the squarish slot of the oh so recent stunningly useless past I oh, it's great and The oh-so-recent, stunningly useless past. That, to me, is a whole statement about the disposability of the modern world and not just objects, but maybe people like the speaker in Anecdote, that previous poem. Disposability. I like this. It's exciting. It's not exciting anymore. I'll put it in a drawer. Done and what about this the moment before the moment before now whose code is lost if you take now as the present and the present is a ungraspable thing because each present of course every time I say present now it's already past. <laughs> uh, the moment before the moment before now so there was that period when it was massive, the floppy disk. I remember the excitement. I remember the the first one I saw, it really felt like the modern world had arrived. And it also suggests what Leoncia's interested in, not the big significant. She didn't write about when the floppy disk was was a big deal. She's gone straight to the floppy disk in retirement. Just like we don't actually get the action in the previous poem, we get the prefix and the suffix of that, whatever happened in that unknown room. And here, let's just look at that closely. The moment before, the moment before now. So it's the past, but it's the very recent past, just a couple of moments back whose code is lost. We can't understand it. We can't remember how it felt. It's gone. Next bit. The words that tapped and flashed like a frantic bird against a pane translate back to the gesture of the hand stalled on the keys like the spirit on the water. Hmm... Okay, the words that tapped and flashed like a frantic bird against a window pane. And that was what it was like when you put in a floppy disk. These things would suddenly start rolling up on your screen, these words. And yeah, it was exciting. They tapped and flashed. It's a brilliant simile, like a frantic bird against a window pane, because you're looking at a pane of, what looks like glass, a plastic. You're looking at a screen, which is like a window, and these things are fluttering, coming up and tapping at that window. And also it's good because it works really well with the next image, which is like a frantic bird against a window pane. Translate back to the gesture of the hand stalled on the keys like the spirit on the water. And now the spirit on the water is that moment in Genesis, the the first book of the Bible, when the world is about to be created. There is this sort of pulpy, cloudy moral world of nothingness and chaos, and the spirit hovers over it the Holy Spirit, often seen as dove-like, bird-like, hovers over it, waiting, just about to create order from the chaos, just about to make the world. And so that is the ultimate image of creativity. So what she's done here, I think she's turned time backwards. The words, that tapped and flashed like a frantic bird against a windowpane, translate back to the gesture of the hand stalled on the keys, like the spirit on the water. So we've gone from where it is now, which we've already talked about, which is obsolete, that moment when it used to tap and flash like a frantic bird, and then back before that to the hand, just hovering over the keyboard, just before the moment of creativity, just before the creation of all the work that's going to come from that floppy disk. So she's rewinding time, I think, to try and find that moment when it was all anticipation instead of what is now all retrospection. Again, she's looking for the moment before the moment before now. Right. Last bit. Like the shouts and groans that issue from the mine after the prop has snapped, the floppy disk is the love note still sealed in its envelope. It's the marker, blank, above its own strange grave. It's, it's, I just love that she keeps dipping into this imagery to find out more and more interesting ways of, of explaining the plight of this floppy disk about what happens to things that are invented, that are anticipated, that have their moment of fluttering and then are just thrown on top of the paper clips. Like the shouts and groans that issue from the mine after the prop has snapped. A pit prop, obviously, is what holds up the roof of a mine. So this is, it's about that tragedy. It's about, it's gone. The thing that worked, the thing that was crucial, the thing that's important. It's snapped, it's broken. We've lost that. It's gone. The floppy disk is the love note still sealed in its envelope. And I think that's how it looks in this, desk drawer and it's because a love note that's still sealed in its envelope is something that used to be very very important a love note and now for some reason it was if it was ever opened it's been left anyway resealed it may be that it just didn't get open that the love had already died again making us think of the previous poem I once went to Midnight Mass and um, spent the whole thing not really concentrating on the the words the priest was saying but thinking about this woman who I was totally obsessed with and the next year when I was at Midnight Mass I thought oh god when I was here last year of course I was absolutely in turmoil thinking about um, thinking about Uh, and I could not remember her name and that says something about what happens to the moment before the moment before now I think and yeah a love note still sealed in its envelope love note so exciting imagine the thrill of that but just now not really interesting and as I say that's obviously the last poem has got echoes of that and that has got echoes of the last poem This final line, it's the marker, blank, above its own strange grave. So it's a bit like a tombstone, but blank. No name, no little bit of poetry, no dates, just forgotten. Above its own strange grave, in this case, I guess, the drawer. But they do look a bit, a floppy disk does look a bit like a sort of tech gravestone. So it works beautifully. And they used to have labels on that you could write on, and maybe no one's written on this label, so hence it is black. It has no epitaph. Right. So I think the two poems are... I don't know if they're supposed to be tied together. I don't know if, you know, there's a reason they're on facing pages. I think the book feels... It feels... Uh, certainly the early part of the book, like going from room to room and finding things and people and maybe finding different aspects of yourself and finding stuff. And I think both these poems, as I say, are concerned with the moment before the moment before now, very recent history and what's gone on in between seems less interesting to Leonche than the preamble and the aftermath she's sort of less interested in the spotlight and more in the uh, I suppose the semi-shadow that surrounds it not interested in the headline moment as in all that other stuff I think they're two beautiful poems and sharp and smart and this book profit and loss is full of them which is why I was able to just open a page and go for it. So um, what's quickly becoming my catchphrase on this uh, podcast check it out Thanks for listening to Frank Skinner's Poetry Podcast Don't forget to follow so you never miss an episode and you can also catch me every Saturday at 8am on Absolute Radio. There'll be less poetry in that but more jokes See you next week